In this episode of Wisdom Talks, John Barta reflects on the Buddha's great teaching of the four foundations of mindfulness, one way that leads to the ending of stress and suffering. So uh, we have been, uh, over the last few weeks, reflecting upon what we can call Buddhist psychology. And whilst the uh, the Buddha's teachings may be seen as uh, many things, certainly a, uh, a philosophy of a philosophy of life, um, also uh, in some aspects a religious or spiritual tradition, a social and moral approach to uh, life, but um, certainly a psychology, a psychology of uh, the human condition a psychology of the experience of uh, being alive as a human being, and especially a psychology of uh, potential. Not just pointing out uh, some of the issues and challenges, the stress and, and suffering of human beings, but their potential for great clarity, great understanding, great wisdom, and great happiness, great joy, great freedom. And this is certainly uh, encompassed in um, what we have been looking at uh, over the last couple of weeks, which has been aspects of the four truths of uh, the Buddha, the Arya Satcha, the four noble truths. And this is all part of um, what uh, we're calling the numerical collections. So collections of numbered teachings. And so we have looked at... Uh, sets of three and uh, moving into sets of four and we mentioned that the main set of four that most people know about or hear about or read about or learn about in the context of the Buddha's teachings is the four truths, noble truths of stress and suffering. Basically that um, there is stress and suffering in life. So that is a, a fundamental reality and certainly an experience and that this truth is to be acknowledged. So acknowledging, acknowledging one's uh, unease, one's stress, one's suffering, which certainly then allows the possibility of doing something about it. The second truth is that there is a cause to our stress or our unhappiness, our suffering. And um, in this context, um, this truth is to be understood. So to understand what, what is the cause of my, my upset, my pain, my discomfort, my stress, my suffering. And in understanding that, then we can uh, maybe move towards the third truth, which is the ending of stress and suffering, that suf suffering has an end. And this truth is to be realized. So to realize this for ourselves, to make that real. And then the fourth truth is um, because there is an ending, then there must be a way to that, the possibility of um, that ending through a, a path of practice, spiritual practice, a magga, or magga means path or patipata, way of practice. And so this becomes a, a wonderful template that we can then engage onto our experience, especially the experience of stress and suffering. And so last week we had a look at uh, some of the ways that we do experience stress and suffering. So the, the causes, 
and uh, to some degree the way out of that. We looked at the uh, four sources of stress and suffering. But um, this week I thought to uh, reflect upon and share with you uh, another set of four, which is the four foundations of mindfulness. And this certainly relates to um, the way or the path, and um, especially these, this particular teaching, which appears um, in several places in the collection of the, the Buddha's teachings. And the teaching is prefixed with a very powerful uh, point. And I'll read this out from the, the Buddhist dictionary, which has a translation of what the, the Buddha would have said two and a half thousand years ago, which basically is, in the context of this particular teaching, the four foundations of mindfulness, that this is the only way that leads to the attainment of purity, to the overcoming of sorrow, and lamentation, to the end of pain and grief, to the entering of the right path, and to the realization of Nibbana, or enlightenment, which is the four foundations of mindfulness. So quite a powerful statement to make that this is the way, this is the one way that leads to the, the ending, the ending of stress and suffering. And um, especially in this particular discourse or teaching from the Buddha, he also mentions that um, if you practice the four foundations of mindfulness diligently, ardently, then um, two results will occur. Uh, full, complete spiritual enlightenment, or the state just before full, complete spiritual enlightenment, within, within seven years, that's possible if you practice diligently. And then he says, let alone seven years, seven months, it's even possible. Then he says, let alone even seven months, seven weeks, it's possible. Then he says, let alone seven weeks. If you practice this teaching, you can realize full, complete spiritual enlightenment within seven days. Didn't go for seven hours. <laughs> seven days, minimum. <laughs> It's possible. So I'm not guaranteeing it myself, but uh, the Buddha has guaranteed it. <laughs> so uh, um, in that context, it becomes, okay, yes, this becomes an important teaching and way of practice to engage upon. A very important, powerful way to realize reality, ultimate reality, and uh, release the mind from being caught up, caught out, caught into. Um, the misperception, the misdirection, the misunderstanding that creates wrong view and and stress and suffering for ourselves. The actual discourse is called the Maha Satipatthana Sutta. Sutta means discourse or teaching. Maha means uh, great, as in the sense of like Maharaja, um, great king. Raja means king, Maha means great. And Sati is the word for mindfulness. And patana is a word that means a foundation, or even patana as in platform. So this is the, the great teaching on the foundations of mindfulness. And in that, there are four, four foundations. Psychologically, it's interesting that um, these four areas are generally what we tend to identify with and take ourselves to be. So our sense of self is like, um, 
seen through, experienced through these particular four areas. It um, is another somewhat similar classification to the five aggregates, the pancha khanda that the Buddha spoke about, five aggregates that we tend to become identified with as through in terms of our sense of self identity. But um, uh, this four encompass those those five uh, those five aggregates, and becomes a very helpful way of um, both uh, developing mindfulness, but also um, using mindfulness to be aware of these four four groups or these four domains. So we can go through each of them and get a sense of uh, what they are. The first one is um, the group or the um, uh, applying mindfulness to our body. And we have them on the chart. The Buddhist word for this is kaya nupasana. Kaya means body. Um, and vipassana um, or the use of pasana means a seeing into or a mindfulness of, of the body and and obviously, we, we have a body, we experience life through the body, and therefore it becomes important to, to become aware of the form and the function and the use of, of our body. And the body becomes an avenue for also investigation and insight. And with all of these four foundations, it's suggested in the context of vipassana, insight meditation, to be aware of the three characteristics in the context of these four. So the first characteristic is uh, anicca, an awareness of the impermanent nature of, of our body, that our body isn't something which is static and stable, it changes, it grows. And certainly our body has grown a lot over the, the course of our life, from uh, even before we were born, as a collection of cells, to, um, to a baby, to um, a child, to um, an adolescent to an adult, so the body grows, it changes. It's not a, a, a static thing. Also the fact that um, the um, aspect of anatta, or sorry, um, anicca dukkha, the second aspect of the body has an unsatisfactory element to it because it does change, it's not permanent, doesn't last forever. It's, um, it's not, not a sure thing. And um, certainly the unpleasant or the, uh, the dukkha aspect of the body can be, yes, the experiencing of aging, which, which can be uncomfortable at times, also illness or sickness, and then ultimately uh, death, where the body does die, doesn't last forever. So it has that un, unsatisfactory element to it. And then the anatta aspect, where because the body does change, there's no permanent me, to be found in the body. There's no permanent me to be found in the body, be, to be found in anything that changes. Something which changes can't be permanent. So we can reflect upon the, the nature of the body in this context. And, and for that, there's various meditations, which include uh, mindfulness of breathing as a basic meditation. So we're aware of the body in terms of uh, the breath, the body breathing. Um, that can lend calm and insight also aware of the four great elements of the body. The body is made out of um, earth, um, food that we eat. It's made out of um, water, the water element, the fluid element. 
It's made out of um, um, heat. Our body requires heat. And then also um, air. The, um, the air that's within the body as well. So these four great elements that make up this whole body that are coming and going, changing, fluxing all the time. And so that becomes a meditation to reflect upon and develop insight into the nature of the body. There's also um, meditations that look into the way in which the body does change as it ages. Um, we might be a certain age, but we can then meditate and imagine the body five years on, ten years on, twenty years on, thirty years on, if you're old enough to, or young enough to have that, <laughs> forty years on, fifty years on. And then maybe there's also reflections and meditations on, on death, um, how the body might be when it's dead. And this is, this is something that's a bit more of a meditation that uh, you have Buddhist monks and nuns using which helps them to be uh, less caught up um, in their body or someone else's body, more aware of the unsatisfactory or the unpleasant or the, um, um, the non-beautiful aspect of, of the body. Um, and reflections on death can certainly bring that about. It helps to curb lust and desire, especially if you're living as a, as a monastic, celibate life, not engaging in sexuality, so it can be helpful to have meditations for that. If only the Catholic Church had these meditations. <laughs> but um, also, these sorts of meditations on impermanence and, um, and death help to create an urgency to use, look after the body, care for it, um, use the body in a, in a healthy way, because who knows when the, the body may lo no longer exist when it's when it's died. So since like be be aware, be mindful, be motivated, don't waste your time. So these are various meditations which become contemplations for developing insight and understanding. The um, second uh, aspect of uh, bringing mindful attention to is uh, that of Vedana. And it's uh, in this context, Vedana Nupasana, so a mindful investigation of feeling. So feelings, and uh, feelings are things that we have based upon having a body. So having a body, there is, there is the senses, there's sense contact, and there is the arising of the feeling from that. So how many feelings do you think that we have as human beings? Lots. Lots and lots. Dozens. In, in this context, in, uh, in uh, this classification of Buddhist psychology, we have three feelings. Three main feelings. And so the three main feelings, or even they can be called feeling tones, are pleasant feelings, unpleasant feelings, and neutral feelings. So, like all emotions can come down to whether that emotion is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And um, in this context, one becomes mindful of if there's, if you're seeing something, or eating something, or, or doing something, uh, what is the feeling tone of that? Is it pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral? And to notice how the mind maybe orientates towards seeking the, the pleasant feeling 
avoiding the unpleasant feeling, maybe even avoiding the neutral one. It's like, don't like neutral, that's boring. I want to make it sort of interesting. See how I can make it uh, find something that's more pleasant. But um, important in this context because uh, so much of our life is motivated towards particular feelings, especially the pleasant ones. A lot of what we do um, is motivated towards pleasant feelings. Uh, even could even be the job that we have. I'm doing this because uh, it makes me feel good. Uh, the relation that, that we're in, because it feels good. Uh, the place that we live, the clothes that we wear, the colors that we, that we have in terms of clothes, um, the food that we eat, all after a certain feeling. And um, so it becomes important to be aware of that because we may be spending a lot of time, a lot of energy, maybe even a lot of money um, seeking a certain feeling or even avoiding the unpleasant feelings. Often that's a great pursuit as well, um, trying, to, trying to avoid, get away from, distract from the unpleasant feeling. And so being able to simply be mindful of a feeling rather than compelled to chase it or run away from it can be a very, very helpful approach because, again, we can waste a lot of energy being um, compelled, clinging or rejecting feelings. And certainly, again, noticing that feelings, how long do they last? Well, not long at all. Even a pleasant feeling that we may have from watching a movie or having a meal, it may last as long as we've, the meal lasts, but it may even change in that you know, during the course of the meal from more intense, less intense. So feelings change. There's also an unsatisfactory element about them because they, they do change. They require certain causes and conditions to be sustained. Um, maybe you've got to work hard to be able to have the good feeling that comes from a weekend. Had to work for five days to get to the weekend or the holiday. Had to work for weeks and weeks to get the, to the holiday that now feels good. So causes and conditions that support feelings, they don't just happen uh, of themselves, they have to be supported and developed and so forth. And also the fact that um, um, we can appreciate that there's no permanent me to be found in a feeling. The feeling changes. If that's who I am, then, then I'm changing. So this becomes important insights again to understand now, what is what is this sense of self and how much it's invested into and created out of uh, these these foundations of mindfulness. The um, third foundation of mindfulness is uh, citta nupassana, and cit or citta is the word for mind or heart or mind heart. And in this um, situation or context, it relates to um, mind state, the state of state of mind. We can say. And so this becomes a mindfulness of our state of mind. And certainly our state of mind does change over time. It depends upon certain causes and conditions internally, externally, that, that create a particular state of mind. And uh, the state of mind could be focused, it could be distracted, it could be refined, it could be gross, it could be dull, it could be alert, pleasant, it could be unpleasant. And again, um, because it does change, it's... It has an element of not being ultimately satisfying or satisfactory. And again, there's no permanent me to be found in that state of mind because it does change. 
So state of mind can be something to be aware of and, and also aware of um, what states of mind we find pleasant, what states of mind we find unpleasant or just neutral, um, what states of mind are helpful for working in or for taking leisure time in. So all part of understanding our, our psychology in this way. The fourth foundation of mindfulness translates as um, mindfulness of uh, phenomena, generally. It's the, the Pali word is um, dhamma no pasana, and here dhamma is uh, with a small d, which means phenomena, as opposed to with a capital D, which means uh, uh, truth or truths or uh, the Buddha's teachings. So small d means phenomena, and especially in terms of um, the phenomena that's in our minds, in terms of like mental content. So what our mind is um, engaging upon, either attending to or actually being aware of in the context of um, um, mental content. And generally we can say for simplicity that this is usually the thoughts that we're having and uh, even noticing that the thoughts are uh, whether they're pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, whether they're about the past, the present, the future, whether they're about myself, someone else, or something else, um, whether the thoughts are occurring as um, a mental image or a mental voice in the mind. And, and so, again, seeing that thoughts don't last long. A feeling lasts longer than a thought. A thought can just be a, a millisecond and it's gone. So... Thoughts come and go, therefore they're, they're not ultimately satisfying or satisfactory. And if I think that I am my thoughts, then, then certainly my sense of self doesn't last very long at all in, in that particular context. So again, this becomes a reflection to see, well, you know, what I tend to take myself to be, whether it's my body or the body, I am the body, or I am uh, my feelings, or I am uh, my mental state, or I am my mental content, isn't anything particularly stable or static or, or sure. And so this can then help us to see, wow, what I am is this changing, fluxing phenomena. Um, and also see the energy that's trying to keep my sense of self stable all the time. So it's, it's quite a, an investigation into um, what we take so much for granted in terms of this is me, this is who I am, but actually what I am isn't something that's that's lasting very long at all. The idea of myself maybe lasts longer than the actual things. In um, using uh, using these four foundations of mindfulness in a in a let's say a clinical context, I find that um, in working with clients that have various um, um, illnesses and not just physical illnesses, because they can be certainly used for a physical illness, chronic pain, um, cancer, and so forth, but especially used in psychological issues. So, for example, if someone's experiencing anxiety or depression, then we can um, look at the anxiety and the, in, and the depression, for example, manifesting through these four foundations of mindfulness. And the beauty of the mindfulness is that by being aware of something, it means that we're not what we are aware of. Now, I can be aware of the, the clock. Because I can be aware of it, it means that it's not me. I'm having a relationship with it. I can notice it, I can see it, etc., which means I'm not it, but I'm aware of it. 
And so uh, whilst there's a relationship with something, it means that there's a bit of space between me and what I'm aware of. Where there's space, there's choice. Where there's choice, there's freedom. So if we go, okay, well, I might say to the person, so you think that you're, you're um, uh, depressed or maybe you're experiencing anxiety, I'm anxious. So, well, let's, let's have a look at anxiety. Let's see how it's uh, occurring because anxiety or, or anger or um, fear or frustration, despair or depression will manifest through these four areas. <clears throat> so, for um, anxiety, how does it affect or manifest with the body? Is the body um, uh, mainly sitting or standing or walking or lying down when you're experiencing anxiety? It might be, well, I'm mainly sitting. I'm sitting worrying about something and how does the body appear is it is it still or it's moving oh i feel i'm moving and um, is the body hot is it cold it's hot it's throbbing in a particular place there's tension there's tightness so one can become aware of that experience rather than being caught into it and as it so i'm aware of this tension this tightness in the chest it's hot here my hands are moist, clammy. So just noticing that and noticing how the body experience does change. The noticing of it, I'm noticing it, can actually be more static and stable, just watching, noticing, 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 and the body might change. We can then move into uh, the feeling aspect. How does it feel? Is it pleasant? Of course not. doesn't feel good at all. But we can notice, I can notice that unpleasant feeling, noticing in which part of the body it feels the most unpleasant. Is it in the chest or the forehead or in the stomach or in the hands? And again, just noticing. And the more we're noticing it, it means the more we're putting energy into the awareness, watching, than actually empowering or being caught into what we are aware of. So the more we are noticing, the less we are being the unpleasant feeling. And of course, it does change. And then even the mental state. How does anxiety manifest as a mental state? Is the, is the mind calm or is it um, um, distressed? Well, it's distressed. Is it focused or is it um, distracted? Well, it's very focused on, on, on something in particular. The mental state, it's focused. And is it uh, focused um, in, in a refined way? or a gross way, well, it's not refined and subtle like in meditation, it's rather rather gross, but it's really focused on that, that issue or that, that worry. So noticing the actual state of mind and realizing I'm not the state of mind because I, I'm aware of that state of mind. And again, seeing it change, it's unsatisfactory, it's not actually me, I can be aware of it. And then the same with the mental content. So what is the mental content of anxiety? What's coming up in the mind? Is the mind Free from thoughts? Probably not. No, there's lots of thoughts happening. Are they about the past? No, they're about the future. And are they pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? Were they, they're unpleasant. Unpleasant, are they positive, negative, or neutral? They're, they're negative. So unpleasant, negative thoughts about the future. And are they occurring as um, a mental voice or as a mental image? Maybe a bit of both. Maybe one more than the other. Yeah, I'm seeing myself... Yeah, and there's a commentary, like I'm here, you're going to fail, you're not good enough, you know, it's going to be too difficult, you'll have to give up. Um, 
Is it your voice or someone else's voice? Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's my father's voice. <laughs> my mother's voice in my head. Or the mental image that I'm seeing. If I'm seeing this image of myself in the future, is it in color or black and white? Or maybe sepia? So, oh, gosh. I don't know. Well, you see it, don't you? You see that image of yourself. Oh, yeah, I guess it's color. Ah, okay. And is it in 3D or 2D? Oh, I think it's only in 2D. <laughs> I don't see, I don't have thoughts in, in 3D, for example. So, noticing this, it means the person is less caught into being anxious. They're, they're noticing the, how anxiety is manifesting. So, there's a relationship with it rather than being it, relating to it rather than from it. And, um, um, this is where mindfulness or awareness does require energy. So the more energy goes into noticing, watching, being aware of, investigating, there's less energy being caught into being anxious. And therefore the anxiety is not being fueled by so much negative thoughts and so forth, and it will dissipate. It's like an energetic transformation occurs. Or even what we can call an energetic alchemy or an emotional alchemy. So alchemy is the process of uh, transforming something base into something refined and even precious. And so we're turning anxiety into the energy of anxiety into the light of awareness, conscious awareness, knowing awareness, mindful awareness, insightful awareness, something precious. And so that um, here in this situation, the person then finds some relief from being anxious into just noticing the phenomena of anxiety arising, staying a while, and then passing. It becomes less fearful, even like a panic attack. It becomes less, I'm less afraid of a panic attack because I, I know I can be aware of it, and rather than distracting from it, running away from it, avoiding it, fearing it, spending so much energy, um, not trying to, trying to not get caught into it, there can be a sense of, okay, I don't fear this, a panic attack or an anxious attack. I can be aware of it. If it comes, I can notice it, and I can notice it and watch it and feel it go. I have a foundation, a platform to watch it from, to view it from, to be aware of it. And that's where it can be uh, uh, quite transformative. So even in a more clinical or therapeutic context, using the four foundations of mindfulness for freedom, Freeing the self from being identified with and as something unpleasant, something negative. A little bit like the um, story that I mentioned at times about the um, uh, couple, this young couple, these uh, young lovers. Um, we can make them, uh, we can make it a, a prince and princess. So once upon a time, there was this, um, these young lovers, a prince and princess, and uh, they were they'd gone for a walk together. And uh, they're out in, this, in the countryside, and they came across this stone tower. And uh, the stone tower they didn't know belonged to an evil witch. And she um, um, captured the young man, the prince, and um, in a magical way, and imprisoned him in the stone tower, the top of the tower. They had this uh, staircase inside that went up, and then a trapdoor, and he was, he was imprisoned there. The, the princess ran away escaping 
and the prince was locked up there. There's a little window that he could see out of. He couldn't climb down, it was too far. He couldn't jump out, it was too far. And so his princess called back to him and said, don't worry, the witch is gone. I'll try and find a way to, to set you free. And he was very uh, distressed. He was anxious, um, not, not knowing what was going to happen, what the witch was going to do with him. Anyway, his um, beloved came back in the early evening and it got a bit uh, um, dark and she had a bag or a basket, let's say, with some things in it, which still wasn't there. And so the, um, the uh, princess uh, took out of her, her um, um, basket a, um, a beetle and she called to the prince and uh, he came to the, the window and was very, very distressed and also depressed. And she said, how are you doing? He said, oh, I'm really depressed, I'm afraid, I'm, um, it's all pretty hopeless, I'm probably going to die up here, so I feel really upset. She said, don't worry, I will get you free, I will set you free. He sort of said, well, how can you do that? It's impossible. So she took the beetle and she tied around the head of the beetle a uh, silk thread attached to a spool of silk. And she put the beetle on the side of the wall and she said, the lantern inside, bring it out to the, the edge where the window is. And so the beetle crawled and flew and crawled and flew up to the lantern. And she said, take the beetle and take the silk thread and, and pull the silk thread. He said, well, why should I? It's a waste of time. It's all pretty hopeless. What am I going to do with that? She said, just do it. Okay. It's a good man. Okay, yes dear, whatever. So he pulled the silk thread and to the end of that silk thread, which went right down to the bottom of the, the tower, she tied some string. And so he kept on pulling, then he got the string and to the end of the string, she tied a rope. And so he pulled and pulled and he got the rope and realized, ah, now I've got some rope. And he tied it off inside, was able to scale down the, wa the, the wall and was able to get free. So freedom, his freedom uh, began with, with not much hope, but just a very, very thin piece of silk thread that was long enough for the, to go up the tower. And so sometimes we might feel trapped in a situation, hopeless, can't get out, can't see my, any way out. But what we need is just the, the thinnest little bit of mindfulness, just to be able to go, ah, just get a little bit of mindfulness. So rather than I'm depressed, it's like, look at that depression. Look at that anxiety. Just look at it. So a slight step back, a little bit of breathing space. There it is. Ah, look at it. And then to step back a bit more. Notice, notice how that depression or anxiety is arising in the body, body aspect, felt aspect mind state, mind content, just noticing, just noticing, just noticing, just noticing. And the more we're noticing, the more we're not it. And so the space becomes bigger, more breathing space, more possibility, less being caught up in it, as it, from it. So mindfulness becomes that which creates freedom. And certainly in the, in the ultimate uh, sense, freedom from the delusion and the confusion of being caught up into ignorance, into uh, samsara, uh, the possibility of nirvana. And so these four foundations of mindfulness is a very uh, powerful teaching and especially reflections to, to consider and to ponder and to look at with these four aspects that we all have. We all, we've all got a body, we've all, we all feel, we all can be aware of our, our mental state, and then what's in our mental state, the mental content. 
and so uh, certainly recommend to to use to use this for your uh, awareness and also your freedom because otherwise it's too easy to take take these things to be ourself and be caught up and and not find any way out so mindfulness becomes that that light that torch in the darkness to find our way out and whether it is um, something like um, anxiety or depression or addiction uh, or uh, distressing emotion it's it's like becoming objective and noticing it rather than rather than just being it and so the noticing of it is is really really powerful so it's a it's a shift from being it to noticing it and and that's that's where the the, the difference becomes and it certainly can also be an issue rather than you know if I'm really upset about this issue my issue but it's like well let's have a look at the issue um, let's okay it's my issue but it's just it's an issue or it's just a situation it's not an issue it's just a situation that that isn't as good as we maybe would like it to be let's take a look at it and if we're coming from a stress response as we can appreciate that our brain doesn't function well when we're under stress in that fight uh, flight fright or freeze response we uh, we don't Remember things. Remember what worked in the past. Remember some, someone else's experience and what what they did and how helpful it was. We don't have the ability to be creative, look outside the square or outside the box, and uh, so by reducing the stress response, then becomes a, a great avenue for great potential as well. And and certainly this is where it can be helpful to to uh, develop mindfulness through meditation. Uh, meditation is the, the gym for the mind to strengthen mindfulness uh, so that if, if situations occur where there is a potential for overwhelm and then distraction into some form of pleasure or addictive behavior, then there is some degree of mind strength to be able to deal with that. And certainly some wisdom tools to engage as well so we like we're equipped we have our, our tool toolkit and strength to be able to deal with issues uh, when they when they do come up and that certainly lends a sense of um, um, hope and encouragement and possibility but obviously um, it is difficult when people are already overwhelmed um, and uh, I would say it's never impossible as long as there's a uh, the potential there, even just the potential for the stepping back a bit, having a, a bit of breathing space and, and going, well, look at that, look at what's going on there, look at how I'm feeling, what am I feeling? What is that feeling? How long does it last? So you know, moving into that that mindful awareness and, and investigation as well. So this is where the, the four foundations become a really, really powerful tool. We don't have to use all of the four, even just one of them might be enough. Just look at the feeling. Can I accommodate that feeling, bear with that feeling, breathe with that feeling rather than having to react against it or try and distract from it. Developing tolerance. Yeah, I can tolerate a bit more of the unpleasant feeling, the anger or the fear or the anxiety and not have to go and distract from it into some sort of addictive behavior. So tolerating unpleasant feelings is um, is really, really important. And I think that um, our society is probably having increasing problems because people find it um, very difficult to tolerate 
unpleasant feelings. We've become accustomed to, well, if it doesn't feel good, escape it. Go and eat something, go and buy something, go and look at something, go and distract in whatever way you can from the unpleasant. But um, as we noted last week, where um, one of the realities is just having to be with that which is unpleasant um, is one of the sources of suffering, but by just being able to just accommodate it, okay, it is what it is, it is how it is, it won't last. Even, even it will change in its degree, but if we can learn to tolerate it and even notice it rather than always running away from it, even fearing it, that's, that's really powerful. Uh, as in meditation, it's about um, uh, allowing the mind to not be so caught into thoughts, so maybe the thoughts slow down, and there may be they're more positive thoughts than negative thoughts. Uh, they might even just become neutral thoughts. Slow down more space between the thoughts by attending just to the breath. And, and therefore there's going to be less unpleasant emotions because we're not so caught into the unpleasant thoughts. So it can be a process, but that's part of training the mind um, to move towards a more of a healthy, healthy mind, a healthy mind states healthy emotions, healthy behaviors, healthy sense of self. And certainly where mindfulness comes in, even if there is uh, um, an unpleasant thought or feeling or emotion, there can be simply a mindfulness of it. It is what it is. It's just like looking at a thundercloud. It's just a, a really dark, maybe noisy cloud. It's just a cloud, basically. Um, and um, the same as looking at a, at a white fluffy cloud. It's just a cloud. A thought is just a thought. So mindfulness takes the, um, the energy out of empowering it with fear or desire. It is what it is. Just noticing. So there's a lot of scope and potential for this um, basic teaching. But um, it's appreciated that it does... Um, allow the possibility of ultimate freedom, spiritual freedom, but it can be used in a clinical context as as well. And so it's about uh, using it and finding a way that you can make it work for you. So do uh, see what you can do with these four foundations of mindfulness. They're easy to remember. Um, and also you can look them up and find them on the internet somewhere and uh, uh, research them a bit more for yourself. So do have a mindful evening and a good week. So we'll see you next time. That's all for this episode. Until next time, head over to wellawareness.com.au and discover what's on offer to relieve stress and suffering and enhance your health and well-being. Ranging from one-on-one counselling relating to many issues facing individuals in today's modern world to meditation courses and retreats.